Gritchy down, come reigns with me for a while. I'm spending my last hours in Erin's green isle. So fill up your glasses, we'll drink while we can. For tomorrow, I'm parting from the shores of Lafran. Delia was an extrovert. She liked and was liked by people who had the same openness as herself. Women with uh, social pretensions and prissy men didn't care for her. She couldn't stand meanness. And she couldn't stand mean men. I remember there was one character in Radio Earn who had a terrible reputation for meanness. Delia described him to me. Oh, she said, I, I can't stand mean men. He wouldn't give you the itch for fear you'd have the comfort of scratching it. Delia was a primitive. In the very best possible way. All her instincts were straightforward, childish. She was basically a very innocent person. Quite unworldly. Uh, perfectly natural. If Delia Murphy said something, you knew she meant it. It wasn't premeditated. It came straight off the hob. I'm a rambler, I'm a gambler, I'm a long way from home. If you don't like me, well, leave me alone. I'll eat when I'm hungry, I'll drink when I'm dry. Well, she's gone from us now, a little bit over a year. And although we still miss her, there's never a feeling of desolation because somehow, at the mention of Delia Murphy, those of us who knew her personally recall some moment of fun, a good laugh, happy company and singing. Songs humorous, raucous and tender. What Delia Murphy herself was, really. So, what about this remarkable woman whose name is so familiar and whose distinctive singing of songs like The Spinning Wheel, Three Lovely Lasses from Banyan, made her perhaps the most popular woman singer of native Irish songs ever? Well, born in 1903 at Mount Jennings, Hollymount, Clare Morris, County Mayo, she was fourth in a family of eight. At the time she came to public notice in the mid-30s, Ireland was up to her tonsils and tenors, light opera and heavy sopranos was the order of the day. But this quality stuff was in contrast to the times. They were hard. National self-confidence was low and things native and traditional were ignored and neglected. And then along comes Delia with her camellias. Even to this day you'd have a hard time trying to convince some people that this girl who sang her songs in the rich accent of the West, in the style of the tinkers and street singers, that she wasn't one of them herself. In fact, her family were well-off farmers in Mayo. Her father had been to the gold fields of the Klondike in Leadville, Colorado, and did well enough to return home and buy the local big house and farm. Delia got a good education and graduated in arts and commerce from University College Galway. Shortly after, she married Dr Thomas Kiernan, who later became Irish High Commissioner in London, Director of Broadcasting and Radio Warren, and Ireland's ambassador to several countries. Well, those are a few brief facts about a woman who's... A, she was a legend long before I met her anyway in Canada in the summer of 1968. But let's hear from a man whose life has been devoted to Irish music and song. 
he and Padre Carney had pledged to work together in publishing Irish ballads and melodies. He knew Delia well and published and recorded many of her best-known songs. Martin Walton. Now, Delia said that she was born singing. And from her earliest years, she became infatuated with the ballads that she heard from the wandering journeymen, tinkers, minstrels, who were singing around the country at their, at their campfires. She found that their songs had tradition, spirit, truth and guts. Very often they were bawdy, but by God they were never dull. And they differed from the alleged dignified sentimental ditties that ushered in this century and that were popular at every refined musical evening. But the songs of the wandering minstrels were different. They were the songs of the road. They were our history and geography and still are. She heard them sung in both English and Gaelic. Her adventures listening to the, to the tinkers and particularly her singing snatches of the not quite most polite of their songs earned her a good walloping with her father's slippers and of some of her acquaintances referring to her as that deal of that Murphy girl who sings those crude Irish pieces. Delia summed up this episode thus. My father's slipper hurt but the squeaks from these little people did not, do not, and never will. They come from the dress circle of life. And I sing for the real people of the gods. A man better known in the Dublin of the 30s for a different kind of music, band leader Billy Carter, worked with Martin Walton in the publishing business. He recalls the first time he met Delia. At lunchtime Monday, this record was played and the name was given as Delia Murphy singing in the most natural West of Ireland voice with perfect diction and sincerity three lovely lassies and I thought this was marvellous because up to then we had only the ballads that were popularised by John McCormick and the lady singers that we had doing Irish ballads were what you would call trained singers whose diction was absolutely perfect, singing with, uh, you know, uh, absolutely correct uh, pronunciation. But here we had this ballad that I'm sure 99% of the people of Ireland had never heard before, Three Lovely Lassies. So I was working for and with Martin Walton at the time, and I mentioned it to Martin, and Martin gave me permission to go down and interview this person whom I found out, whose husband was um, Dr. Kiernan, director of broadcasting at the time. Wasn't that what it was, wasn't it? <laughs> Most gentlemanly man, but he told me that he never interfered with his wife's affairs and gave me the address where they lived on Pembroke Road. So I went down and I was very graciously received by Delia, who spoke in the same accent as she sang in. 
she invited me in, and uh, I told her that uh, the firm would be interested in publishing some of her songs. Uh, during the course of the conversation we were there, I noticed a photograph on the piano of John McCormick standing beside a grand piano over a little girl sitting on a stool at the grand piano, and on it was to Musha with love from John. She was very fond of that picture and loved to tell how John McCormick, for whom she had the greatest regard, came to call her Musha. She was at a reception somewhere and drinks were being served. Someone asked her if she'd like a drink. I don't know, I won't, she said. And then a voice behind her said, Ada, do have a drink. Musha, then I won't, said Delia. And with that he burst out laughing. Well, from then on she was Musha to John McCormack. Indeed, private pet names were quite a thing with Delia. To her husband she was Murphs, and she called him Mac. The Mac puzzled some people, but her own explanation was that she used to joke him about his surname Kiernan, which, of course, is McKiernan. Somewhere along the way, his family must have become too grand and dropped the Mac, and that, she claimed, was part of the family name. John McCormack himself had great admiration for Delia and her singing. He used to joke her about her voice. She loved to tell how he said that there were a hundred things that went to make up a good singer. Delia, he'd say, you have 99 of these. Uh, the only thing that you lack is a voice. But she was, uh, he was a great help to her in her diction, and this comes through in all her songs. There are three lovely lassies in Banyan, 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 Banyan. There are three lovely lassies in Banyan, and I am the best of them all, and I am the best of them all. Me father has forty white shillings, 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 shillings. Me father has forty white shillings, and the grass of a goat and a cow, and the grass of a goat and a cow. And me mother, she says, I can marry, 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 marry. Me mother, she says, I can marry. And she leave me her bed when she dies. And she leave me her bed when she dies. I'm sending me shoes to be mended, 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 mended. I'm sending me shoes to be mended, and me petticoat to be dyed green, and me petticoat to be dyed green. 
And the next Sunday morning I'll meet him, meet him, meet him, meet him. And next Sunday morning I'll meet him, and I shall be dressed like a queen, and I shall be dressed like a queen. And I shall be dressed like a queen. That's the song that introduced to a whole generation of Irish people not only Delia Murphy, but also the Irish ballad in English. And she loved to tell how it all started for her in Herbert Hughes' studio in London. John McCormack was practising singing Una Wan. I had the nerve to put him right, she said, when he came to sing Fea I suggested that he sing it all in one breath, which she demonstrated. There was a man there from HMV, and he asked me if I'd like to record. So we set up a time for a recording session, and, of course, she recorded songs like The Spinning Wheel, If I Were a Blackbird, Dan O'Hara, and many others. In fact, she recorded a total of nearly 400 songs in her lifetime. Then, of course, there was the question of where did she get her songs? It was a case of here, there, and everywhere. She delighted in telling how she got them. For example, as a child, she'd go along to the local blacksmith in her native village in Mayo, and he'd sing for her after school. She'd run the odd message for him as he was a cripple. She'd go down to the local tailor, thread the needle for him, and listen to his talk and hear, as she said, all the lore of the world. As a young girl in Mayo, she didn't show much of the effervescence that she displayed in later life. She was a bit of a dreamer, and indeed throughout her life she mixed fact with fancy. Here's her son-in-law, Ivor Brown. She seems to be very quiet and shy as a young girl. Yeah. And this, and then, of course, going away. I mean, this, I think this is not just a factor of her, but many Irish people have a sort of release phenomenon when they get out of this country. Yeah. They suddenly seem to be able to break free of the constrictions of Irish life and realise themselves. And I think this must have happened to her in a very full way. Yeah. And it probably happened very early on, say, in the first period in London. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then she was able to have all the colour, you know, that you can associate with Irish people. Yes. But I doubt if, you know, she mustn't have been like that, as I say, as a young girl growing up. Again, about her sources, here's um, Martin Walton again. As well as learning from the tinkers songs that would have warped the wood of the piano at home, Dee learned other things from them, such as how to, how to catch a big fat salmon at night and how to carry a, co a hen under her coat without it squeaking. She also learned how right her father was when he told her that, that the tinkers would steal your back teeth while you were talking to them. And the tinker's son taught her the hard way. She had a new melodion which took the fancy of this long-legged urchin of a tinker who looked attentively at it and then sniffed. He drew a battered tin whistle from his pocket and said, Did I ever show you me magic whistle? Just play a tune on this and you get any wish you want. Delia goggled <coughs> and the rest was easy. She went home clutching the whistle under her coat but minus the melodeon. 
But he told her that it never worked until a minute after midnight. And she, God help her, thought that midnight would never come. It did come and she blew and blew and blew until the veins stood out on her face but not a sound came from that whistle. She cried with rage and quietly slid out of her home and sought the tinker's camp. But they had departed <coughs> and she only found the remnants of a fire. Next day our father's pedigree cow, the pride of the county, died and a post-mortem revealed that parts of our melodion were inside the poor cow. The young tinker wanted to discover how the music was made and had taken the instrument to pieces and abandoned it. The poor cow had gamely swallowed the parts. But for Dida, this was the end. And her father drove her in disgrace the next day to the convent in Tume. The tune the old cow died of. When she left school, she went to college in Galway, and her course led to something more than a degree. A book which plagued, plagued <coughs> her studies was British War Finances and the Consequences, written by T.J. Kiernan. And sometime after, at a student's party, she met a young inspector of taxes from Dublin. During a dance, they exchanged names. His was Tom Kiernan. She greeted him with, if you're ranting to that fellow who wrote that war book, I never want to see you again. Never! But soon after graduation, she married him. And for the next six or eight years, she lived with him in London, where he had been posted to the High Commissioner's office. Most of her singing now had to be done in the kitchen or nursery, as her four children, Bla, Fanula, Colm and Orla, came along. Liam Redmond, the actor, and his wife Barbara got to know Delia around this time. Delia got married very young. Dr. Kiernan had taken a degree in economics, and among other things, he was tax consultant to Lady Gregory. Well, having solved her ladyship's tax problems, the young couple were invited down to Cool for the weekend. The great W.B. Yeats was a house guest. After dinner on Sunday night, they were sitting around listening to the pearls of wisdom falling from the lips of the great poet. When darkness had descended, Yeats rose slowly from his seat and made his way to the bookcase. He searched among the vast volumes. At bedtime, he said, I always find the need of a little trollop to help me go to sleep. Well, it was too much for Delia. Her laugh was loud and raucous. Lady Gregory raised an imperial hand. To bed, child, she said. <laughs> Poor Delia. And Barbara? Well, the very first time I met her was in the summer of 1934. I was staying over in the Middle Island in Arran. And one e afternoon we were having a marvellous time on the beach and we suddenly heard the sound of an outboard, which was very unusual there at that time. So naturally we all charged up to a high point to have a look. We saw a tiny curragh in the distance and the island men all came running to see what it was about and they said, well, that's a very dangerous thing to do. You can't put an outboard in a curragh. And with that, the 
outboard stopped and we could hear it spluttering for a while and then we saw oars coming out and as it came nearer we could see two men and a woman rowing and when it pulled into the beach here was Delia pulling away mightily that's the first time I ever saw her the island men were absolutely astounded they'd never seen a woman rowing a cart before can safely float in the teeth of wind and weather and out chase the fastest hooker between Galway and Kinsale when the dark clouds come together or the white floor of the ocean out she rides in her pride like a seagull in the bay as she's neat as she's sweet she's a beauty every line the queen of Connemara that bounding bark of mine when she's loaded down with fish Till the waters lick the gunnel Not a drop she'd take aboard her That would wash a fly away From the fleet she sails out swiftly Like a greyhound from his kennel And she lands her silver store of fish At old Kinvarakay As she's neat, as she's sweet She's a beauty every line The queen of Connemara That bounding bark of mine there's a light shines out afar And it keeps me from dismaying When the clouds are ink above us And the sea runs white with foam In a cot in Connemara There's a wife and we want praying To the one who walked the waters Wants to bring me safely home As she's neat, as she's sweet She's a beauty every line The queen of Connemara That bounding bark of mine Dr. Kiernan was a diplomat, and a very, very good one, too. I remember in 1941, towards the end of the year, the Kiernans were being sent to uh, the Vatican, and Delia gave a farewell concert in the Father Matthew Hall. As I said, she wasn't a pietistic woman, but she was deeply religious, and she had a great affection for the Capuchins. Now, that concert stands out in my mind. I don't think I ever saw her looking as beautiful, and I don't think she ever sang as well as she did on that occasion. Sitting in the audience, I had a sense that a great change was coming in her life and in our lives in relation to her, that we would never see the same Delia again. And it was wonderful that it was that she was so brilliant on that night, but it was saddening to think that it would be so long before we would see her again, and that inevitably she would have changed. But of course she was very gay. In the Father Matthew Hall, and particularly when you consider that it was the Father Matthew Hall. It was amusing that she sang The Moonshiner, the American drinking song. Well, there was one old priest, and he had a long, long beard. He obviously liked the song. He joined in. I'm a rambler, I'm a gambler, I'm a long way from home. And if you don't like me, then leave me alone. I'll eat when I'm hungry. There he stopped. 
la 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 Shiner for many a year. I spent all my money on whiskey and beer. I'll go to some hollow and set up my still. I'll make you a gallon for a two dollar bill. I'm a rambler, I'm a gambler, I'm a long way from home. If you don't like me, well, leave me alone. I'll eat when I'm hungry, I'll drink when I'm dry. If moonshine won't kill me, I'll live till I die. I'll go to some hollow in this country Ten gallons of wash I can go on the spree No woman to follow and the world is all mine I love none so well as I love the moonshine I'm a rambler, I'm a gambler, I'm a long way from home If you don't like me, well, leave me alone I'll eat when I'm hungry, I'll drink when I'm dry If moonshine won't kill me, I'll live till I die Moonshine, dear moonshine, oh how I love thee You killed me poor father, but dare you try me Bless all moonshiners and bless all moonshine Its breath smells as sweet as the dew on the vine I'm a rambler, I'm a gambler, I'm a long way from home If you don't like me, well, leave me alone I'll eat when I'm hungry, I'll drink when I'm dry If moonshine won't kill me, I'll live till I die But afterwards, the captains gave a nice little party for Delia and uh, we, were all, we all had a very pleasant time. And she was going round from one priest to the other, saying, you have to treat me well tonight, Father, or I'll tell the Pope on you. <laughs> but as I've said, Delia was on her way to the Vatican. A young Irish priest who is now Bishop of Clonfert got to know the Kiernan family very well while they were in Rome. Here's Dr Tom Ryan. And I recall one interesting evening when... Uh, he had a visit from the Vietnamese, the wife of the Vietnamese ambassador and her little son. And uh, Delia was expected back from the house they were staying in the country. Delia did not come back. Dr. Kiernan, with the help of the staff, managed to put up a tea for the woman from Vietnam, but he couldn't find the butter. And ever afterwards, Delia used to joke, Mac as she called him, that the best he could do without her in entertainment was tea and bread and jam. Um, Dr. Kieran, as I said, was very interested in his wife's singing, and he encouraged her. His tastes in music were much more classical, of course. Uh, he recalled one evening that they had been in Switzerland, and uh, that they heard a program of international music on the Swiss radio. Uh, they went around the different countries with Strauss and Beethoven and Bach and Verdi, and the, when they came to represent Ireland, all they could trot out from the Swiss radio was uh, Father O'Flynn. And Dr. Kiernan said it brought home to him how um, proletarian and common we were with our Irish jig. Uh, as regards Delia and uh, Dr. Kiernan's relations with the other diplomats, the relations were excellent. They all loved Delia and the Kiernan family. Um, 
her naturalness, I think, her complete spontaneity and naturalness, uh, was her sesame to all their hearts. Uh, another thing that um, deeply interested the Vatican officials and her colleagues in the diplomatic corps was the number of their children. They had four, as you know. Most of the other families of diplomats were confined to one or perhaps two. Um, I emphasized earlier that Dili was most hospitable to the Irish superiors and students. I should say also that she opened the door of her hospitality as well to the ordinary Irish folk, ordinary Irish boys and girls in Rome for whatever reason. Uh, naturally, during the war, there weren't very many of them, but you had a few Irish governesses and a few old Irish pop uh, people, ladies especially, living their lonely lives. Delia was the same good friend and charitable woman to them as she was even to the most important person in the Irish colony. A footnote to this period from Martin Walton. Three different regimes rolled over them. First, the Italian watchdogs, watchdog with the Italians, watchdogs in their own country while the victorious German army swept east and west. Then came the invasion of Italy's toe and the German occupation, and finally the Liberation Armies. She said that they were treated with courtesy and respect by each occupying power, and that the Irish legation helped countless callers at the Irish legation. They came from all over the world, even orange men from the famous Ulster regiments, we welcome them all. She met such famous men as Kesserling and Rommel. Rommel always asked for his great friend, General Michael J. Costello, of whom he spoke warmly, and never failed to speak of his military qualities. Delia quoted him as saying, that man is a great soldier, and he could lead any army in the world. Martin Walton remembers Delia as saying that against the terrible backdrop of those days, Irish music seemed a very parochial affair. She didn't sing very much in those days, except on occasion for her friends who came to the reception at the legation. She translated three lovely lassies into Italian, and it became a popular request from her visitors who came to her home. She was one evening very surprised to hear a small, grubby-faced messenger boy singing this song on the street. She asked him where he had heard it. He said, It's an old Neapolitan love song, signora. Well, the song was still being sung when she left Rome and still described as Neapolitan. They were proud of it, and this made her very proud too. And the next Sunday morning I'll meet him Meet him, meet him, meet him. And next Sunday morning I'll meet him, and I shall be dressed like a queen, and I shall be dressed like a queen. After Rome and the war, the Kiernans returned to Ireland, and Delia resumed her singing once again. Leo Maguire sang with her at several concerts around the country, and he remembers her delight in singing. She loved getting up and bringing joy to the people, and she brought joy, she brought tears also, with some of her songs, Dan O'Hara, most poignant little song. She could bring you laughter or tears, mostly she brought you laughter. 
she brought back something that we were in great danger of losing. She did as great a job for Irish ballads as Bunting did over, what, 200 years. In her own period, she brought back something uh, just like the Bunting collection, something we were in grave danger of losing that Hughes and all the other collectors and arrangers had missed. She collected the ballads that they had missed. And she did a great job for Irish balladry and for Irish history, of course, because her history is enshrined in these ballads. And may God rest her. Delia's next move was to Australia, Dr. Kiernan's next di- diplomatic appointment. She told me about the time in Australia when she was driving the embassy car along a country road with a tricolour flying. She saw a man on horseback with a slouched hat, a boundary rider, as they're called, checking the fences. In typical Delia fashion, she stopped the car and had a chat. 
it turned out that he was an Irishman. That flag, he says, will be flying long after the British Empire is gone. They had a long, long chat about the old country, and he said, Who are you, anyway? So, says Delia, I told him I was the wife of the Irish minister. Delia got a great chuckle out of telling his reaction on hearing this. Be God, then, says he, here I've been chatting to you, an Irish girl from the West, and you had to go and marry a Protestant minister. Well, she had a hard time trying to explain to him what the minister meant. Well, after Australia, there were postings to other countries, Germany, Canada and the United States. Delia was spending more and more of her time out of Ireland. Uh, there was little time for singing, and during the 1950s she was almost forgotten as a singer. It was in 1961 that Dr. Kenneth Goldstein, the distinguished American folklorist, met her in the States. I asked Delia if she would be interested in recording. She immediately said yes, without any hesitation, and uh, we made an appointment uh, for me to meet her when she would next get down to New York City. <clears throat> this came about fairly quickly. I spoke to Delia. She said she had uh, a lot of songs that she wanted to record, some of, few of which she had recorded previously, but most of which she had not earlier recorded, uh, and uh, that since she did not accompany herself, she would like us to arrange to get some musicians to accompany her and perhaps an arranger to make arrangements, though she felt that she had fairly strong ideas about this and wanted really very simple arrangements. I called in a friend of mine, Walter Rame, told him what the problem was, and uh, he agreed to work it out with Delia. They got together, and I immediately realized that Delia was uh, far more of a professional uh, than her simple um, voice and simple demeanor would have indicated. She knew exactly what she wanted. She told uh, Walter Rame in no uncertain terms uh, what kinds of backgrounds she wanted, whether they were simple or more complex, uh, what kinds of sounds, levels of sounds, and what he did was uh, ask her to record on tape, unaccompanied, the songs that she wanted him to do arrangements for. She proceeded to do that. He took them home, and a week later came up with uh, the arrangements which finally appeared um, on her prestige recording, The Queen of uh, Connemara. I feel that it's a pity more people are not familiar with this, her last recording. All of the songs on the record are personal favourites of her own. One that she loved to sing in quiet moments, particularly after the death of her husband, was this one. When my true love arose, 
Saying, what want you at my graveside? I can't take my repose. Want you of me, dear love? You will not let me sleep. Your salty tears they trickle down and wet my winding sheet. When shall we meet again, dear love? When? Shall we meet again when the autumn leaves that fall from the trees are green and spring again? Delia died just over a year ago, but her vitality, her generosity, and her good humor still live in the memories of those who knew her. She was a generous woman. One typical example of Delia's kindness and generosity came to our knowledge quite by chance. She was visiting friends and they told her about the plight of a young widow who was ill in a neighbouring house and quite alone. Her son was away at boarding school. Well, Delia's reaction was, what are you doing about it? She went immediately to see how things were with the woman. She found that there was no food or fire. All the money was going to the child's needs. Well, she stocked her up with food and fuel and moved in to nurse the young woman back to health. Now, this was someone whom she had not known until she heard of her misfortune. That's generosity for you. That was Liam Redmond. His wife, Barbara, has a more personal memory. I'm the daughter of Thomas MacDonough, and she was talking to some friends, and she asked them how MacDonough's two young children had fared. She knew that my mother had died very soon after 1916. And she was told that, well, we weren't doing too well, and she made it her business to look us up. Uh, Don's young wife had died tragically a few months before this and he was trying to raise his children on very inadequate bar earnings and he had always been interested in ballads so she decided this was somewhere she could help and she fired his imagination by singing and talking about ballads to him and it was typical of her generosity that she gave him a lot of her books of ballads and copied out her unpublished property, you know, the ballads she had. And the result was that he had a programme, Ireland is Singing, which kept the wolf from the door for many a year. Kenneth Goldstein. One incident stands out in particular. She came to the house and we were talking about uh, collections of... 
um, Irish folk songs in the English language. And I was rather proud of my own uh, library at the time, and I had done a fairly decent job of getting together a, a sizable collection of um, Anglo-Irish uh, songs. And in the course of our discussion, um, she asked me if I knew of such and such books, and I proudly walked over to the shel shelf, uh, took them off, and showed her that I had them and that I knew the books. Uh, and then I remembered that there was one book which I didn't have, and uh, I asked her if she knew about it. The book was Songs of the West Wexford Coast by Joseph Ranson. Uh, and uh, while I knew of the book, had used it actually up at Harvard Library, it appears that there were very few copies. Uh, I believe there were fewer than three copies in the United States. I myself did not have a, um, a copy. She said yes, she knew of the book, and then changed the subject, and we went on to discuss other books. About three weeks later, um, I received a small package from Ontario, and uh, in the package was a copy of Joseph Ransom's Songs of the Wexford Coast with a short note saying, I know you will do your best to see that this book is used by those who will most appreciate it. Uh, and then it was signed, Delia Murphy. A final word from Martin Walton. I have no doubt that the revival of the interest in Irish, true Irish folk songs that we see today had its start and its success in the efforts of Delia Murphy. And I don't think any tribute that I could pay to her would be sufficient. I'd whistle and sing And I'd follow the ship That my true love sails in And on the top rigging I'd there build my nest And I'd pillow my head On his lily-white breast I am and my story is sad For once I was courted By a brave sailor lad He courted me truly By night and by day But now he has left me And gone far Take me to Donnybrook Fair To buy me red ribbon To tie up my hair And I know that someday He'll come back over the tide Then surely he'll make me His own loving Chide me and will not agree that I and my sailor boy married should be. But let them deride 
I'd there be 